Welcome to a special Friday episode of the Pod Pod. As promised, we have another one of Holmesy's one-on-one interviews. This time, it's with DT Lemon, who finished third in 2021. Now, if you remember, Holmesy, he, he mentions it enough. He finished second in the same year, so they had a bit of back and forth that year. They've kept in touch since, and DT Lemon's become a bit of a voice in the fantasy community. He's just a master of team value, always boasting one of the highest team values by season's end, and is another great fantasy mind for Holmesy to pick the brain of. Now, before we get into the episode, I'd like to let you know we're running again the Pod Pod Challenge Open League. So this is different from our Listener League draft, which I forgot to mention on Wednesday's show. We will be running that in the week in between we've got these trial games. So um, this week we'll be doing the trial recap, and then after that, we will be doing the Listen League draft. So you still have a little bit of time to get your entries in. We've shuffled that around a bit. So now you've got another extra week to get in your reviews on Apple Podcasts, where we'll be drafting listeners to represent us in a little bit of a different format, Listener League. So you've got to go get your review and rating in on there. Let us know why you want us to draft you. And then four of us will be drafting you, maybe even Harmy, if he gets some uh, some reviews in there as well. Back to the Pod Pod Challenge, the code, I just want to let you know the code, our listeners, 99XVWN3P, or you could just go to the Join a League tab and search the Pod Pod Challenge. That's probably a little bit easier. Anyway, let's get into this conversation between Holmesy and DT Lemon. I can't wait. All right, guys, welcome back to another Pod Pod interview. I'm joined by another special guest today and um, a coach that I always love catching up and, and talking fantasy with is someone that you might have seen on Twitter, DT Lemon. I think he was probably the most active coach on Twitter all throughout 2022, being very generous with his time, um, posting his team, his trades and answering questions. But he's been a, flying a little bit more under the radar this year, which I, I don't actually mind, but uh, you might have heard him on the uh, Hat Chat podcast last week, but DT Lemon, how you going, mate? Yeah, good, thanks, mate. Thanks for having me on. It's always good to chat fantasy uh, with another successful coach and really anyone, to be honest. So, um, yeah, it has been a, a bit of a low-key off-season, just trying to keep keep a lid on it and um, trying to not lock in too many players too early. There's obviously still a, a, a lot to happen between now and round one. So, yeah, it's creeping up on us, though, and um, looking forward to it. Yeah, mate, to be honest, I'm absolutely chomping at the bit to see hopefully more real footy this week and then obviously the week off before we're, we're away and, and in round one. So, in you know, it's it's really the most exciting part of the year and um, I can't wait to get stuck into it. So, for those listeners that might not know too much about you, um, why don't you give us just a little bit of a, a background about who you are and, and what your sort of fantasy successes have been in the past? Yeah, for sure. So, uh, yeah, DT Lemon. I've been uh, playing fantasy for a few years now. Um, started to take it a bit more seriously uh, two years ago uh, when I just had a bit more time on my hands after a career change. And, um, yeah, had a really good year in 2021. Uh, ended up finishing third, just a couple of points, 11 points behind first. And uh, what was it, seven points behind you, mate? So um, that was a, a, a tense finish at the end there, but uh, I mean, altogether a really great year. I sort of learnt a lot about fantasy in that year. 
Um, and then, yeah, last year had a pretty good year. Um, ended up finishing somewhere in the top 300. I, I can't remember the number exactly, 271 or something. But um, not, not a bad year. Didn't start particularly well and, and just sort of struggled to gain on the top 100. They really got away from me there at the end. So um, another pretty good year. And then, yeah, did um, a bit of AFLW fantasy in the off-season well, as well and uh, got a hat there. So feel like I'm, uh, I've had a, you know, three pretty good seasons and, um, yeah, looking forward to hopefully backing, uh, backing it up this year. I, I feel like uh, I'm due for a hat again. So um, that's the plan at the moment, but we'll see how we go. Yeah, so the you know the reason I love talking to you. So for those of you that, that don't know, so Lemon back when he came third in in twenty twenty one, he was easily the best team coming into that round. I, he was easily the best team for about the last five or six rounds. I think he ended up with a team value that was one million more than uh, Ashley's Bombers, who finished first, and I think even he was about five or six hundred k ahead of me as well. So. He's a man that knows how to build a squad like no other. Um, that ki- that kind of team value was, you know, nothing we'd really seen before. And unfortunately, he just couldn't get over me in that uh, that last round. My team just had one out of the box, and um, unfortunately, he couldn't get the win. So um, the reason I, you know, I want to chat to you is, you know, last year as well, as I mentioned, you were very active on Twitter. You know, you posted your team, you were talking about your trades each week, you were giving everyone such good advice. So. The fact that you were still able to finish in the top 300, I was nowhere near that last year, but that just shows that you are a very good coach. You know what you're doing and um, I'm very excited to you know, have a chat with you now and, and really give some, some good insight to the listeners. So let's, um, let's talk about that 2021 season a little bit more in depth and then we'll move forward. So what were your sort of learnings and takeaways from that really successful season? Oh, yeah. So it's a crazy season and um, looking back, you know, I'm, I'm – completely stoked with how it all went I think obviously the team value you mentioned before you know I I made that a bit of a priority for me early on in the season particularly was just to really chase those rookies who could score chase the mid prices who I thought were going to really pop and and continue to make some cash and just constantly you know things like holding your premiums um, holding guys who may be injured for one or two weeks and just really focusing on the cash generation side of things particularly early on I think later on in the year you can um you can definitely focus more on getting points on field. Um, but earlier on the year, you know, those first couple of rounds, uh, picking our teams now, we need to make sure we're looking at guys who are going to go up, you know, two, 300K. We want to try and get as many of them in our team as we can. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, every year people say it's a trading game and it's it's always hard after that first round that, you know, sometimes you, you don't have a great round and you think, I'm no chance of winning this thing. I'll, I won't be able to get close. But in the end, it is a trading game. You know, the, the first round I wasn't, I wasn't, I don't think I was even in the top thousand. And then after that, round two came back a bit more as I expected. And you can just, if with good trades, you can just constantly chip away. There's plenty of points to be had. Um, and, you know, these guys over 22, 23 rounds, um, you can catch up pretty quickly if you're getting five, 10 points here and there per game over the space of a year, that's quite a lot. So I think that, you know, just really seeking the value in every every trade you do, um, every player you bring in, look at the value and and really try and nail the value guys, which then allows you to bring in top of the line players. And that's the other thing I did that year that worked really well. I didn't waste too much time going for a, you know, a top 10, top 20 player. I was really looking at who's the best in the line, who are the best six defenders, um, you know, who are the best, um, eight midfielders and just bringing those guys in straight away don't um, don't mess around with the guys who might have to be traded out again just trying to bring in 
guys you know are going to be good for the rest of the year, lock that position away, and then keep trying to build those those guys into your team. Eventually, you get to the point where you've got this huge team value. You've got you know these um, amazing premiums in your side who you know are going to deliver, um, and then you just need a few things to go your way to hopefully win a car at the end of it. Yeah, I think the point that you make about the, the trading game is spot on. So you said you just um, finished round one just outside the top 1,000, whereas I'm pretty sure I was 23K. So I've started at 23K, you've started at around 1K, and we've both ended up pretty much around the same spot. So it just shows that there's not one way mm. to play this game, um, but you are right. It's super important early to, to nail those rookies, and, and something that stuck out with me just then was the mid-prices. So um, we can kind of... Just talk about that a little bit now. Understand you might not have your two your twenty twenty one starting squad on you or be able to remember everything. But were you someone that started a lot of mid prices that worked out in your favour, or were you someone that started a little bit more guns and rookies and and then traded into those mid prices once you actually saw the role and, and saw the value that was on offer? Yeah, definitely. That that year, I was I was definitely more guns and rookies. Uh, I, I can't remember exactly which mid prices I had. I had a, a couple that failed on me. I think I had, um, I think I had Tom Phillips. He was the twenty twenty one mid pricer that failed on a lot of people. I think I had him and a few others that didn't really deliver for me. But um, but I think what I did get right was I got all of my rookies right. I, I maybe had one too many, but the ones that I I didn't miss any of the of the big ones. That was important. You know, I had all of the guys I needed to have, which then allowed me to concentrate my trades on. Uh, jumping on the mid prices I didn't have, fixing up premiums, um, you know, covering injuries. I didn't miss out on any rookies. So I pretty much made huge amounts of cash from every single line. Bench rookies were playing well. Um, On-field rookies I managed to sort of nail as well. Um, and that we were pretty lucky that year. I think we had a lot of rookies. You could do that. I think I might have had seven to start on field, which was quite high. Um, so yeah, I think that's it's and it's tough every year, you know. I think this year I may be taking a punt on a few more mid prices um, because I th- I think that's what you need to do to to really um, you know push yourself into that top one hundred. You can't afford to miss out on on too many of these really good mid prices. Um, guns and rookies is I, w- I don't want to say dead, but I think um, I think people are better. The knowledge is better now. We have a better understanding of of mid prices who are going to pop and. And therefore, if you're just going guns and rookies, it's a pretty safe approach, but you might not be able to win a hat. Um, so that's that's sort of where I'm heading this year. Uh, I'm interested to hear your thoughts, mate, if, if, if that's where you're looking as well. Yeah, mate, I, to be honest, I, I have the same sort of thoughts. I, I completely understand these days that, you know, pure guns and rookies is dead. Um, I still like to try and set up more guns and rookies in terms of not necessarily the the top top liners that are fully priced or overpriced, but still trying to find the the guns that are a little bit underpriced, but will still push those top you know six to eight spots because we know that those are the scorers and and we are going to need them eventually. But you are right, the the content is better than ever, the research is better than ever, the coverage of all players is better than ever, and we do definitely need to start with a, a few more mid prices here and there that are going to present value to to get those. Um, team values up nice and early to be able to get those top liners. So I do agree with that. I remember um, sort of listening to you talking on a few podcasts last year and even sort of tracking your trades early. I I definitely was someone that was following along with what you were doing um, when you were posting your trades on Twitter every week. And one thing that stuck out with me is that you were so incredibly disciplined with your rookie trading. So early days when a lot of people were sort of going sideways with their premiums or 
you know, taking a punt here and there. I, I know you were, you know, a rookie got to, you know, 350, 400, whatever it was, or even when they were dropped and they were only at sort of 270, 300, and, and you just dropped them down to the next rookie straight away and away you went. So is that the kind of strategy that you like to look with your, your cash generation early early days? Yeah, definitely. It's always, I think it's always hard with rookies. Um, you know, some of them uh, get dropped for one or two weeks, then come back in and end up playing really well. But um, definitely, I think the the sort of key strategy I employed last year was not jumping at shadows with my premiums. You know, you've got to back yourself in um, with these proven guns. Sometimes they have bad weeks and sometimes that just happens to be at the start of the year. And I think we get to this uh, habit, some some coaches, where we, we think, oh, we'll just do another, another round of fix-ups. Oh, just one more round of fix-ups. I'll trade my rookies next week. But, you know, you've got, to, you've got to look at your squad as a whole. You might have, uh, you know, maybe 15, 20, maybe up to 20 rookies in your, in your team, starting team, including your bench rookies. And you've got to try and get those guys out quickly. We've only got two, two trades a week. So theoretically, you're going to need seven, eight, maybe nine rounds um, to actually get all of your rookies that have made cash and convert that cash onto your field. So you can't afford to be a week late or two weeks late on um, cashing those rookies in. Um, so I think that was definitely a definitely a strategy of mine that worked. It, it, it doesn't pay off immediately. I think that's the thing that you've got to look at. You know, it, it took me, I think I did probably four or five downgrades last year before I actually got the first upgrade um, just by, you know, sidewaysing rookies, just the 50K here, 100K here. But then it meant that round five or six, I got the first upgrade, which was to a premium midfielder, a captain option, someone who stayed in my team for the whole year. And then that means that um, I've still got that cash generation coming on the bench as well, you know. So I, I see a lot of people early on, particularly, they just forget about their bench and try and um, massage the points on field. You've got to really make sure, think a few weeks ahead, make sure you're going to have that rookie who's popped in four or five weeks time to then cash them in and keep those upgrades going. Uh, because, you know, realistically, we should be downgrading, upgrading until we get to a full squad. You've got to make sure you've got enough cash to actually do that and not run out when you get to around, you know, 11 or 12. Yeah, it's interesting, right? So the the old philosophy of making sure you hold your premiums, um, it definitely, definitely holds true. Um, and I, I believe in it as well, but it's about having that fantasy IQ to not be afraid to, to jump off that that underperforming premium if you know if they aren't really performing to the level that you were initially thought. So you you do, you do have to back in your research, but you know Matty Mottram last year round three traded out Brody Grundy, and admittedly he had Pruce on the bench who he really needed to get on his field, but he had the sort of IQ to be ahead of the pack. He traded out Brody Grundy who did get injured the next week. So maybe if he didn't get injured the next week, you know that doesn't you know work out as well as it did in his favour initially, but by him being able to get off Grundy, have a little mini restructure. I think he got in Andy Brayshaw from memory and and bring Bruce on the field. That was the way that he was able to to get a jump on the competition. So you are right. Holding your premiums is definitely key. Uh, but in this modern day of fantasy, you, you can't be afraid to jump off your premiums as well if they are underperforming because there's so much good content and good coaches out there. But you are right. I think if you do just get caught in the trap of flipping all your premiums early days and wasting those trades, then you can get caught a little bit down the track, which I think from memory last year, that's kind of how I did. I think I managed to get pretty close to the top 500 coming out of the buys. But unfortunately, a few early mistakes meant that my cash gen and and that was halted around, you know, once the buys finished, which kind of meant that I was just on a downward spiral after that. Would you agree with that? Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think that's it's a really interesting point around uh, Matty Mottram bringing 
uh, trading Grundy, bringing Bruce onto the field. You know, that's one thing you've got to look at early on. I, we've got to identify which rookies are scoring well, and you've got to try and find a way to get them onto your ground. So there's no point having, you know, four forward rookies who are all scoring really well, but two of them are on your bench. Um, you know, you've got to try and work out how do I get them onto the ground and put the worst scoring rookies onto the bench somehow, or maybe do a bit of a rearrange, trade them up to someone. So, um, you know, Bruce was a great example last year. Having Bruce on your bench was a great move. You made lots of cash, but having having him on your ground was just a slam dunk because you're getting the cash gen and you're getting 80s, 90s. Um, you know, you're getting really good scores out of him. Uh, you know, Grundy was barely scoring that sometimes last year as well. So, um, yeah, getting points on the ground early, um, definitely important. And I think rookies, you know, that's that's the great thing about rookies is that the high scoring ones, you know, Nick Martin last year, um, if you didn't have him early, you just lost so much cash generation and you lost the points on field because he was scoring better than the other options. So, um, yeah, it's really, really interesting. And there's no one way to do it. You know, everyone does something slightly different, but I think the overall strategy needs to be keep the cash generation going, uh, you know, get as many points on the field as you can and then, yeah, just keep that cash chipping away so that, you know, you don't get to a position where you were last year where you've got that last position on field to upgrade and you've got nothing in the bank to do it with, no one on the bench. You just sort of end up, you get a bit lost there because you've got, you know, it takes three or four weeks for rookies to make money and you can't just flip them immediately. So, um, yeah. Yeah, so your your strategy in 2022 um, worked Oh, sorry, 2021 worked extremely well. How do you felt? How did you feel that that strategy lined up uh, previously? So last year in 2022. So clearly you finished top 300, which is a a very very good finish in modern fantasy. It's I still believe anyone that finishes inside the top 1,000 has had a, a sensational season with how hard it is these days. But do you feel like the the strategy lined up well? Yeah, it was interesting. I was I was looking back on that uh, the other day and. You know, I had so much success in 2021. I thought, oh, this is great. I'll just do the same thing again. And that will get me uh, a hat or maybe I'll win the car this time. Um, but every season's different. There's different numbers of rookies. There's different fallen premiums. There's no real one way to win it. And it changes every year. So um, I think I got a bit stuck in in the idea of just pick, doing the, using the same strategy, um, you know, maybe picking some guys that I was a bit biased towards, some of the uber premiums I had from the start. Um, and that really, that sort of backed me into a bit of a corner there because, uh, the rookies weren't as strong last year as they were in 2021. And I went pretty heavy on the rookies. Uh, I ended up getting caught in a few different ways, you know, guys getting dropped and then I just didn't have that cash generation. And because I neglected a lot of these mid prices, I had to do some rearranging, trying to get these guys in. So, um, yeah, last year was definitely a lesson learned for me. You, you can't just do the same thing every year. So what, what worked last year won't work this year. You've got to look at all the players as a whole. You know, where is the value? Is it in the premiums? Is it in the mid prices? Is it in the rookies? Which lines? You know, there's no one strategy that's going to win. So I think this year is really interesting with the way the rookies are panning out. Um, you know, it it might not there might not be a lot of midfield rookies or straight midfield rookies in our team. So we might have a really interesting position where we can pretty much pick whoever we want as a starting squad we might be able to put a few rookies in our midfield uh defense or forward rookies and that means you pretty much can pick whoever you want to pick um which is a really interesting position normally you just you know you can't get enough midfielders into your team this year it, it seems like that's changed a bit that people want a lot of forwards 
Um, there's a lot of defense rookies. It's going to be really interesting to see how that all plays out uh, because that's very different to the last couple of years where you know most of our rookies are in the midfield and most of the players we want are in the midfield and we have to try and you know find ways to fit them all in. So um, yeah, that's something I'm really interested to see how it turns out this year. Yeah, that's a that's a fantastic point that that you've made in terms of um, each season being different and you think and I'm guilty of this as well. So you know, I've top ten in 2018 gone away had a few lean years come back and gone really really well in 2021 and thought yep this is great I've got my blueprint now Um, I know how to play the game Um, what worked in that year I thought I'd just be able to roll straight into 2022 and the season's completely different it's the year of the mid-pricer where you get you know four or even five of those mid-prices that ended up being keepers or if not keepers guys that we could hold for for large parts of the season because they were putting up sort of top you know, 10 numbers in their sort of lines and, and yeah, this, you know, it's all different and, and you don't go as well. So I am interested to hear your thoughts. You kind of went over it a little bit, but let's sort of stick to the rookies now. How are you seeing the rookies this year? Because I know last year and admittedly this time last year, we didn't really have a Nick Martin. He came from nowhere. So we, we might still get one from nowhere. I'm not sort of banking on it, but we don't have a Nick Martin. Yeah, Ashcroft might end up being a, a good day cost type, but I can't really see him. You know, he's definitely not going to get defensive status. And with the way he's going at the moment, it looks like he's going to be a predominant midfielder as well. So he might not even get forward status for us. So that's completely different again. How are you seeing the rookies this year? And then I'll sort of give my two cents as well. Yeah, it's 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 really interesting. I'm, I'm sort of holding out for a, you know Nick Martin or a Jack Hayes or someone just to bob up that is a slam dunk, you know, high scorer with a good role, good job security. But there's not that many of them. There's a lot of, I think a lot of these rookies at the moment have question marks. Maybe that'll be a bit clearer after we see some proper practice matches this week. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that'll be the case. But um, yeah, it's, it's, I think it's really interesting. You know, in terms of pure midfield rookies, I'm not seeing that many this year. You know, there's, there's Will Ashcroft, Will Phillips that lots of people have been talking about. Other than that, there doesn't seem to be too many slam dunks in the midfield. There's question marks over Cam McKenzie. You know, a lot of people had Matthew Johnson in the side. It looks like he might not get a game. So we're going to be in a really interesting position where the rookies, probably the most of the rookies are going to have, you know, forward or defender status, which um, is something new for us, I think. that's It's going to be really interesting um, because... Traditionally, obviously, the the better scoring players are in the midfield, on the wings. That's where we want our rookies to be. Um, If they're playing back pocket, that might not be a a, a great scoring role. That might be a 30 or a 40 sometimes. Um, You know, some of these guys, it's really hard to predict if they're best 22 because back pockets can, you know, there's heaps of guys on the list that can fill that spot. So um, it's, it's really, I think it's really fascinating this year. Um, you know, defense in particular, looks like there's a lot of guys who are going to get picked. A lot of rookie price players are going to get picked. My concern is that a lot of these guys won't have the scoring potential that we would normally expect. Um, you know, we got a bit lucky last year with um, Sam DeConig really came along as a player. He looked like he was going to be a 30s, 40s kind of guy. And then as the season went on, he just got better and better and better, more involved in the game plan. Ended up being a really great pick, made us a lot of cash and stuck around, great job security. You know, I'm not sure if we're going to get that kind of guy again this year. So, um, it's, yeah, it's, I think it's fascinating at the moment seeing how it all plays out. Um, a lot of these high draft picks have, you know, a defender or a for, forward status, which is great, but they also have some pretty unclear roles, I think. So, um, 
you know, that's that's important. It's really easy just to look at the NAB League results and say, oh, they averaged 100 in the NAB League. That means they can, you know, score 60, 70, 80 in, in the AFL. But we've got to remember that in the NAB League, they were probably the, you know, number one mid in their, in their team, getting as many CBAs as they wanted, running around after the ball. Um, you know, that's not going to happen at AFL level. Will Ashcroft will probably do that, but everyone else, it looks like they'll be, you know, they'll be coming off the bench. They might have some time at half forward forward pocket maybe on the wing um so we have to be really careful about these guys you can't you can't just look at what they scored last year and project this year you have to look at their role as well where are they going to line up for these clubs um you know is there a position for them in the midfield or on the wing or on the half back line or maybe they're going to get thrown around into you know the forward pocket for a bit uh that kind of thing how do you see how do you see the rookies playing out mate yeah, look, to be honest, mate, I I am a little bit concerned. So the thing that kind of sticks out for me is that last year, the rookies that we ended up getting that were that ended up being good picks for us. If we think um, De Koning, been in the system for a couple of years, you had Paddy McCartan who was mature age. Um, Dacos was the obvious exception, but Nick Martin was mature age. Uh, Cherry was mature age. Jack Hayes was mature age. A lot of these guys that we ended up getting were mature bodies that were able to come in and play a role a decent role early on, whereas a lot of the rookies that we're getting this year are the draftees. And we know that, you know, COVID's gone now, but they've had so much of their football development interrupted throughout 2020, 2021, 2022. Think, you know, Chessa hasn't played a lot of footy. Um, you know, Jinbi, yes, there's a lot of hype around him at the moment, but I, I genuinely don't believe that he's going to get much midfield time, if any. I think that's just a pre-season sort of role for him to kind of develop but I think when you know when round one rolls around I'd be very surprised if he's in the midfield you're looking at a Josh Weddle who's playing for Hawthorne who are going to be probably the one of the worst fantasy scoring teams in the comp and one of the worst performing teams in the comp with uh, a very low NAB league average to begin with um, and then you're looking at you know your McKenzie's your Sheasels, your Sheasels, who, uh, sorry, Sheasels and your Philippus, who, yes, uh, seem to be quite gun players and have good NAB League scores, but, you know, they're going to be playing forward in developing sides that, you know, are probably going to find it pretty tough when the ball's not down in the forward line very often. So I am, I am actually genuinely a little bit worried about the rookies this year. I think we're going to get enough, but whether they're going to be, an, you know, score well enough to be able to play a role for us on field is one thing. And, whether they're actually going to play consistent enough games to get, you know, five, six, seven games in a row to earn enough cash is another thing as well. Because with this new sub rule, um, if one of them gets subbed off for a low score, or they come on for, you know, a 10, their cash gen's completely done and then you, you're needing to trade them out. So I'm a little bit worried. So for that reason, I think we're trying to, well, in my, I'm trying to get some on the field that I'm semi-confident with, but I am trying to look elsewhere to make sure that I've got some scorers on field too. Yeah, that's. I think that's really important. You know, the, these guys, um, if they are the, you know, not not ready made for AFL in terms of their fitness or their body, they could they'd be easy ones to sub out. You know, in a in a uh, five goal game, ten goal game, you can sub them out after two and a half, three quarters, and just keep their legs fresh, which is you know great for the coaches, great for the player, but for fantasy coaches, it's it's terrible, um, and they might also rotate them through the subs as well. We've got to remember that. That always happens. That there'll always be times where these guys get dropped and then come on as the sub. So, um, yeah, it is. It's. I think it's really interesting. You know, the, you know, the top price rookies are priced at. I think it's like an average of thirty-two or something. So, you really want twenty-plus points on that to be worthwhile. So you're looking at them averaging, you know, fifty to sixty 
as a sort of minimum, I think a lot of these top price players might not get the role to do that. So um, it's going to be really interesting to see if any of them have that fantasy-friendly role that we're looking for. Um, that's going to be something that we're keeping a close eye on this week. And as you said, you know, we're, we're just it just happens that this year we don't have those mature ages popping up just yet. There's still time and there'll be injuries over the next week or two that might then give an opportunity to one of these um, mature age guys. But um, yeah, the, it definitely is a bit scary, scarier picking a you know, 19, 18-year-old than a 25-year-old who the, the team's just picked up. You know, you're, not, you're not picking up a 25-year-old if you're not going to play them, whereas an 18, 19-year-old, you're, you're just expecting to, to play them in a few years. So um, there's not that you know, real urgency of getting them into the side. Yeah, and I think that point you made around like these top price rookies being priced at, you know, I think Cadman being the number one pick, I think, yeah, he's priced around that 33, 34, and then they're all um, go down from there. But a lot of the guys we're looking at around that sort of 280K price range are all up around that 32 mark. So we have this kind of thing in the fantasy community where we think that, you know, it's pretty easy for rookies to average 60 or 65. But if you actually go back and look through it, like only the really elite rookies average above that. We've had, you know, we've been pretty blessed with, like we said, Dacos and Nick Martin and and those type of players. But more often than not, rookies, you know, if they score 50 to 55, that's a good result. And it's it's good for us if they're from a basement price. But if they're coming from that 30, 32 price range, that's actually not a lot of cash made for us. And it does make it quite tough. You think like a Josh Rochelle last year, high draft pick, he was such a good cash generator for us, but that's only because he scored two tons in his first three or four games and that really kick-started his cash gen. He only averaged around that 55 mark. So if they have that sort of flat average around that 55 mark, it, it does make it quite tough. So that's something else I'm kind of considering. Do, do you agree with that? Yeah, definitely, definitely. I think it's, um, yeah, it's going to be really interesting and you, you can... Um, you can look at it and find a lot of mid-prices who will probably increase their average by 15, 20 points. So that's where we've got to sort of work out, you know, is it better to have the rookie on field scoring 50 points or do you take another mid-pricer who might increase their average by 20 points, maybe become a, a keeper at the end of the year, maybe not. Um, you know, I think there's a there's definitely a, a balance there that we're going to have to try and work out come the, come the start of the year. Yeah. Awesome. All right. So let's kind of take this a little bit sort of line by line now. So I'm quite aware that I don't want you to reveal too much of your team. So you don't have to reveal any of your team so far, but I want to talk similar to how we did with Mini Monk about a month ago. We're going to go line by line. And I just want to talk a little bit about strategy and and how you're kind of seeing it in terms of structure maybe. And maybe we'll talk a little bit about specific players because we have seen some footy now. So clearly those situations have changed since we spoke a month ago. But Let's talk about the defence first because the defence is one line that we are really kind of struggling with along with the rucks or, or that R2 spot. So how are you seeing the defence at the moment? It's tough this year, isn't it? It's, uh, I think we've been blessed uh, in the previous couple of years. We've always had those midfielders who've you know, had defender status and a sort of no-brainer picks. But this year, it just seems a lot harder to find those guys. Um, so I'm really struggling with you know my premium defenders who I want to start with to start the year. I've I've rotated a lot of guys through my D1 D2 positions um, and not exactly sure where that's going to land. So um, I think for me in terms of structure, you know I'm looking at starting probably two to three guys who I think are going to be um, keeper defenders. So you know your top six defenders, um, you know one of those guys with a bit more value than the other two. And then looking at sort of three cheaper players in my defense on field. 
Um, so, you know, one guy between sort of three and 400K, there's a few different options there that, that could take that spot and then two rookies on field in defence. I think we've got enough defender rookies at this point um, that we, we probably will definitely be safe starting one. I think two might be more common and we've got a few that can still fit on the bench then as well to, to make some cash. So at the moment, structure-wise, that's where I'm looking. I've looked at having a slightly cheaper back line um, maybe having an extra you know, mid-pricer in there, putting the premium somewhere else, maybe in the midfield. But it's really tough to, to know at this point. Um, I think you just got to be flexible and you know, don't get sold on a particular structure um, because you know, that happened to me last year a bit. I got sort of hooked into a structure and then in the forward line, we had a, just a plethora of really great mid-price value options and I basically restructured to get some of them in. So um, you know, don't, be, don't be too sold on your structures at the moment have an idea in mind but um yeah that's that's sort of where i'm running in the in the defense structure at the moment homesy how about you yeah i I think it's interesting right so i know a lot of people are trying to save money in defense and i'm kind of of that strategy as well i think a lot of the top priced defenders are fairly priced or maybe even a little bit overpriced and we did have a bit of a year out of the box last year with defenders so Going off, you know, previous years and averages, normally, you know, your top six defenders average sort of that 95 to 100 mark. And all of a sudden this year, we had a dock go 110. We had Sinclair out of the box go 104. We had Dawson break out and be just over 100. Brayshaw was near 100. So is that a, is that how the game is played at the moment in terms of now that, you know, the 666 moving away from this um, sort of chip mark game? and more run and gun, which means that they kind of set up from defense, they chip around back there, and then they just go. Is that more how fantasy is going to be played this year? So are those players fairly priced slash maybe a little bit underpriced if they can go a little bit better, or are they going to come crashing back to earth? So that's what I'm kind of trying to work through. I still am a little bit worried and tentative about trying to start too many of these guys, or even any of them, in this sort of high 80s, low 90s range. So like, I know a lot of people are big on a Hayden Young or a Nick Dacos and I know it's because we are starved of value this year so we are looking for a bit more of a breakout than we might necessarily have done in the past but I do worry with these kind of players with a Hayden Young, even a Dacos I'm not as big on. If they just are what they are and they average that sort of 86 to 90 range and they don't really improve but they aren't putting up the scores that are you know, what a top six should Um, put up it could be a little bit of Will Phillips territory where you know you don't get the points you don't get the cash gen and you're kind of in no man's land so that's what I kind of am tossing up with at the moment so I I am right I I am at the moment looking to have two pretty good D1 and D2 now I'm not saying that I'm paying up for those big dogs but I am trying to at the moment put in two guys that I feel are underpriced but are genuine top six guys with little risk I'm very happy to start, I'll, I'll say it, an Elliot Yo at D3. I think he's done absolutely nothing wrong and I think everyone should be seriously looking at that. But whether you put him at D3 or D4 is going to be a, a bit of a hot topic moving forward. The other thing is about the rookies. I'm I'm not as sold as you on the rookies. I, I admit that we are going to get a lot of them, I think. I think you know we'll probably get a Jinbi. I'm not sold that we'll get a Chessie yet. I know they're still building his loads and if he comes to round one and he's named, he's definitely someone we lock away. We might get a Weddle. We might get a, a McVie from uh, Melbourne. There might be a Chincotta or a Cowan that pops up. So we might be have a we might have a lot of options. But I am worried about starting, you know, two of them on field at this point. So I'm kind of looking at that 300 to 400k range. So think your Charlie Constables, your Jaden Hunts, your Connor McKenna's, who 
you know, might not have been someone we'd look at in earlier seasons when we have the strong rookies come through. But I think um, there's definitely scope for the, those guys to improve as much as the rookies will. Um, so they make the same amount of cash but have far better uh, job security. Do you agree with that? Yeah, it's interesting. I, I think, um, yeah, I mean, you've, you've, you've named all the big ones there. Um, you're right, though. I think that, you know, what we're worried about with these defender rookies is is role. Can they actually put up a 50 or a 60? And uh, I think a lot of these guys will be playing back pocket. They're not going to be the main distributor. Um, they might have some poor scores that will slow their cash generation. So I think there's definitely – we're lucky in the sense that we've got a few of those options at three to 400K. And I wouldn't be surprised if a few teams run, you know, maybe two of those guys. I think that's that's that might be the play. Um, and and yeah, it's it's always an interesting one. I think the other thing we can consider is with the utility, um, you've got a bit of flexibility there. So, you know, what I'm looking at is if there's a, a line that I'm not too sure on, you might want to have that utility spot supporting that position. So, for instance, if you're uh, at the moment, I've got two two defender rookies on field, two on the bench. And then there's a possibility to have the fifth one as utility. So I've got the five to choose from. And I've got to fill two spots out of the five. Um, you know, if if that utility spot was actually taken by a forward rookie, I might be a bit more uncomfortable about running the two defender rookies on field because then you've got to pick two out of four. So I think that's something people can consider is, you know, you've got the utility. How you use that is pretty important. The other thing that we might be doing this year is we might have another rookie in your midfield that sits on the bench there with defender status or forward status. So you can look at that, you know, over the five or six guys you've got, um, you might only have to play two of them. We should get a couple of scorers out of these guys. There might be one guy that surprises us. There's probably going to be another guy that disappoints us. Um, But as long as you can sort of work that out pretty quickly and get the right guy on the field, um, we we should be okay at least to get the points coming through. but yeah, it's 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 definitely a concern there. You know, even the guys on your bench, you want them to go up in value pretty quickly, ideally, so that you can then cash them in. You know, if they're only going to increase their average by 10, 20 points and it's going to be a bit of a slow burn, that might give you some headaches when it comes to sort of downgrade upgrade season. Yep. So let's talk a little bit about mid prices then. Are there any sort of mid prices that you're looking at in defence at the moment? I know the flavour of the month is Will Day, who I am actually quite cold on. I know um, Jack Bowes is a little bit of the talk after his uh, pre-season game where he, he seemed to have found plenty of the ball off that half forward line in, in the first quarter. But how are you sort of seeing the mid-prices in defence? We won't we won't count Yo as a mid-pricer as I think at this stage he can be classified as an underpriced premium. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's really interesting. I'm, I'm definitely keeping an eye on Bowes and Day. I don't think we can really lock them in or rule them out from what we've seen so far. Um but I think if starting with Bose, I think, you know, that we know what Geelong do with their players. We know how deep they run. You know, if you were trying to pick their best 22 right now, you'd probably get three or four players wrong. So I think he might be one of those guys that we might get wrong. Maybe he plays half forward flank. Maybe he gets some on ball time. Maybe he doesn't even get picked, you know. Maybe he's in and out of the best 22. We don't really know. And I think a lot of people saw the uh, the article that said that they promised him a best 22 spot, you know, a couple of months ago when they brought him in. Uh, I think, you know, we all know what was at stake for Geelong getting that pick seven along with him. And if I was Geelong, I would, I'd promise him the world as well just to get him on board and, and bring in a, a nice rookie with pick seven. So I wouldn't put too much into that. Uh, you know, uh, the, the coach and the, the selection panel at Geelong aren't going to be 
talking about promises made four months when they come to pick their team. They're going to pick their team based on the best 22 available. And if Jack Bowes isn't in that, um, you know, he might be playing a bit of reserves football this year. So he's an interesting one. He looked pretty good from what I saw in the in the practice game. Um, but the role is just so hard to predict with Geelong. You know, they've got so many guys that can roll through the midfield. Um, and I think a few of them are probably ahead of him. So I think maybe the spot for him is that high, high forward role, which is a pretty good role. I could see him, you know, maybe averaging 80, 85 in that role. If he gets a little bit of mid-time, maybe more, but uh, I don't know if that's going to be enough. And I think there's so many question marks there with him. We'd have to see something pretty special um, in this week's game and maybe a, a, a comment from a coach to back it up as well um, before we jump on round one. In terms of Will Day, I think he's a really interesting one. You know, We know that Hawthorne are going to be rebuilding. We know that they've got this hole in the midfield at the moment, which will be taken by someone. Um, we don't know who that is, but I think... Everything I've seen suggests he might be the, you know, the 50-60% center bounce guy at Hawthorne. He might be one of the guys that rolls through there. I mean, we know he can play. Is he really built for that inside mid-roll? I don't think so. I think he's more of an outside player. He's more of a sort of damaging player. So I don't think he's going to be, you know, absolutely racking up the posies, tackles, marks. But I can definitely see him, you know, going 80 to 90, which I think at his price is priced at, you know, around 60-62 or something. So I think there's definitely scope to have him there. Um, I can't see him being a top six defender, but I can definitely see him having you know 15, 20 points upside. So I'm definitely I'm definitely watching him. He's not in my team at the moment, but he's one that could easily come in in the next couple of weeks because um, you know if, if if it's clear that he's in that rotation, they're the guys we love. You know they've got 50, 60 percent CBAs. We know they're going to be scoring 70, 80 points plus at his price in defence. That's a pretty good pick if, if he can get that role. Yeah, it's it's interesting you say that. I, I'm not on Will Day, and even if he came out and had that role this week, I'm still not willing to go down that road. I think we need to kind of put a little bit of a critical thinking hat on this one, and what we know of the Hawks, they're a seriously rebuilding side and one of the lowest fantasy scoring teams in the side as well. So you had John Newcomb last year, admittedly in his second year, but he had all the opportunity in the world He's a tackler. He actually bobs up for a few marks as well. He gets a lot of possessions and even his ceiling in that side was an 88. So if you actually go and have a look at the the Hawthorne midfield mix, yeah, they've lost Tom Mitchell and Jaeger O'Meara. But, um, you know, it's going to be quite tough, I think, for a Will Day to score consistently in that role. And I think in a, in a rebuild year, I think there's going to be a lot of chopping and changing inside that midfield with rolls up and down each week. So I think we might struggle for a bit of consistency. So I, you know, my, my personal opinion, I think he's going to be a little bit of a trap for those coaches that go there. But all of those points you did raise in terms of the if he does get the 50 to 60% role um, with what we've seen him score in the past, I think, yeah, there's, there's scope there to push above 80. But I would be shocked if it's any, any more than that which at his price is going to be a little bit awkward. But all great points you raised there. Let's move on to the midfield because we did hear you say before that you're not sure about these midfield rookies coming in. So I'm fascinated to hear how you think we should be structuring up in our midfield this year. Yeah, I think midfield is is every year I think this is the case. You know, we've got, we've got 10 positions to pick, but there are just so many options, so many guys with DPP. You can pretty much do whatever you want. So I think midfield's really where the game's won and lost in fantasy just because you've got the uber premiums all the way down to the rookies, everything in between. You've got you know heaps of mid-prices to choose from, heaps of underpriced premiums to choose from. And I think we see that in the ownership stats as well. You know that In every other line, there's a few guys up at 40 50% ownership. In the midfield, it's just so much harder to pick 
these underpriced premiums and the and the and mid prices who are going to really pop for you. I think at the moment it's it's a really fluid line. You know, I think I, I can easily see people running, you know, maybe five or six premiums in their midfield, top it up with uh, rookies, or you might have a bit skinnier, maybe three or four premiums and then a couple of mid prices, then a couple of rookies. I think this is really a line that you can decide on based on what you're doing with the other lines. So if you're skimping a bit in defence, load up in the midfield, that's great. Um, you know, maybe if you want to dock it in defence, you're going to be a little bit lighter on the midfield. Um, so yeah, I think I think this is a really fluid line and it's good because you can really do whatever you want with it. Um, there's a lot of guys you can choose from up the top. You know, a lot of these guys are priced around 100, 105, 95, who could easily jump up into the 110 bracket. Um, you know, there's there's too many names almost to mention when you look at these guys who've done it before or you look at the guy, the young guys who maybe haven't done it before but have shown glimpses. Um, it's just a huge number of guys and some of them will do that and some of them won't. Um, it's going to be really interesting to see who does that um, and it's 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 going to be tough. It's going to be a bit of a lottery, I think, but um, you know, back your, back your call in because there's going to be a couple that, that make that jump and uh, you know, don't be afraid to pick the guy that you've seen play, or maybe you've heard some good reports out of, of training, um, because that's you know, that, there's a lot of value there to be had, and there will be guys who go up 15, 20 points and become keepers. Um, and then, yeah, I think mid prices, there's there's clearly lots of names that have been thrown around, so you've got plenty of options there. Um, and as I said before, I think rookies, this line at the moment, I, I'll probably have at least one rookie with a forward or defender status. Um, possibly two, but I, I don't like the look of two. So I think rookies, you've got a bit of a, a bit of flexibility there to um, just get the guys you want on field and make sure that that they're on field. And if they're on on field in your midfield instead of your forward line, it doesn't make too much difference in the end, as long as they're scoring well to start the year. Uh, don't be afraid to have you know a Philippou or a Sheasel or someone in your in your um, midfield. That's that's not going to be an issue. Actually, Sheasel's just forward, but. Anyway, one midfield forward rookie, you know, having them in your midfield is going to be fine. Yeah, that's those are some very good points you make. It's it's interesting, right? So in years gone by, um, so like 2021, 2020, which is a bit of an aberration, but even going back, so the game used to be a much more fantasy-friendly game and we used to have, you know, 8, 10 midfielders average 110 plus, even a lot more over that sort of 112 mark. But if you look at last year, we had Zach Merritt as the eighth defender who averaged, I think, 107.8 from memory. So I don't think the bars is high these days. I think if you can get your your stepping stone slash the underpriced guy from that 80s, 90s bracket to get up to, you know, that 105 mark, I think that's going to get it done these days. It's going to be close enough to the top eight with the way the game's changing. So that's that's something to keep in mind. I I still am a little bit worried, so I'm seeing a lot of teams out there, you know, running multiple of your LDUs, your Greens, your Sarongs, your Warners, your Newcombs, and I still think there's room in the game to be a little bit more guns and rookies in terms of not going up straight to your Lairds, Steels, Mills, those guys, but, you know, looking for the guys around that sort of 100 range that can get up to 105 plus, think your Bontempelli's, Petrarca's, Josh Kelly's, Darcy Parrish, those type of guys, I think that's where we kind of need to be looking. I don't think we need to go too far away and, and try to nail all of these breakouts because, you know, say you've got an LDU, say you've got a Green, say you've got even a Sarong, you throw in a Dacos, a Hayden Young. If you're starting all of these guys and you're banking on all of them breaking out to be keepers, history shows that they're not all going to do it. And if you have too many of these guys and you're stuck in no man's land, 
Um, as we spoke about before, you're not going to get the points and you're not going to get the cash generation either. So that's the way I'm kind of seeing it at the moment. I think your your point's very interesting in terms of the mid-rookies. We might not get them, but I still think I'm going to try and get three on field and then maybe look for a Dom Sheed type at um, M5 and then have four four guys that I'm confident in being keepers, not necessarily the highest price players, but guys that can go 105 plus and, and be close enough. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I, I definitely, uh, I love the idea of picking picking guys priced around that 100 price range. I think there's a few there that are great choices. You know, you mentioned a lot of them, you know, the dogs, midfielders and blokes like that that have done it before. We know that they can go at 105 plus for an extended period of time. Um, they give you great captain options because, you know, when they have a good matchup, we can give them the VC or the C. They might be able to pump you out of 130, 140. So having more captain options is always great. And the midfield is generally where you get these guys. You know, they're going to have good matchups and we're going to lock them in for a big score. So, um, yeah, I think I completely agree. You know, the top the top eight midfielders, you know, say there, there are eight that go 110. There'll be another 10 that go between 105 and 110. So I don't think you're losing too much by having a guy who increases their value and goes, you know, maybe goes at 106 or 107, even 105 for the year. That's fine. You know, you might be losing five points a game on the you know eighth best player in the line but you'd be gaining that elsewhere with the money you've made so uh definitely you don't necessarily need to pick the top eight midfielders straight away i think and even for the whole year you know if you finish the year and you don't have the you know top eight players by average in your midfield i think you could still easily win a hat and you could probably still win the car as well so um you know it's great particularly in the other lines i think we need to be careful it's a bit skinny you know, it's a bit skinny in the forward line and defence with those top players. But in the midfield, there's just so many great midfielders. Guys go on runs. Um, they have cold patches. It's not such a big issue to pick the guys that, you know, are definitely top eight, top ten midfielders. Um, you're better off picking blokes with a bit of value, five, ten points of upside that are going to be close enough to keep for the year. Yeah, absolutely. Could not agree more. All right, let's move on to the rucks, the position that, with defence, has this position's probably given me more stress and anxiety and chopped and changed more than more than defence. So we won't spend too much time talking about Roel Marshall because I'm pretty sure we're going to be in agreement that he's the the number one ruck that we are just um, putting into our teams at the moment with everything we've seen. But yep. at this in. point in time, I know it's chopped and changed a lot. How are you seeing this R2 position? It's horrible, isn't it? It's. Uh, I think we're in a really unique position here where, you know, previous years you've always had the set and forget strategy you've had you know two clear guys who we know are going to be or we all think are going to be pretty much top of the line and if you if you run out of ideas you just lock them in um you know we sort of had that earlier on with with tim english and we still might i think you know that's still a a play to lock him in i think when he plays he's going to be you know 100 plus um there are question marks about his durability which i think are, are fair enough um that's going to be really interesting to see if he can get a good two three week block in now um, there'll be a lot of people who probably go back to that set and forget with Ron Marshall and Tim English um, but yeah then after that it, it's, it's really tough you know there's a lot of guys that I could probably see averaging around 90 um, but that's probably not what you want if there's not a lot of value there um, and then there's a lot of mid prices um, or a few mid prices I should say with a bit of value is it enough to sort of lock them in I'm not really convinced at the moment so it's um it's really interesting, you know, there's a lot of question marks around Darcy Cameron, Scott Lysett's a name that I've heard a lot that, um, you know, I don't mind, but I don't think it's going to be a, a you know, a car winning pick or anything. Um, 
and there's not that many cheaper options. You know, I haven't really seen too many guys priced, you know, three, four hundred k, five hundred k that are going to be great picks. I haven't really, haven't really seen too many names float up, and and that scares me because if you go with one of those guys and they fail, where are you going to go? That's my big concern. You know, I'm I'm at this point I'm I'd rather err on the side of more expensive in my R two because there is just I, I can't see anything coming from below. Um, you know, if you go a Scott Lyset and he gets injured or or gets dropped or whatever it is, where are you where do you go with him? You know, unless you can find two three hundred k, where do you go? That just really scares me. Um, and we know he's had some injury injury issues in the past. He's had a bad shoulder. Uh, you know, had a shoulder rico end of last year. So stuff like that is really scary. And then also you've got the the rookie rucks, which are a bit of a nightmare at the moment. There might be a few guys that step up, but. I'm not convinced they're going to be great scorers. So, um, you know, in previous years we had a Jack Hayes. We've had other guys, you know, Pruce, who've come through. We still might get those. You know, ruck line is is really thin, and when teams lose a ruckman, generally there's another guy who steps up, maybe a bit of value who takes a role. So, you know, for instance, if if Wits got injured, you've got Ned Moyle who might just come in and and absolutely kill it in the ruck. So, it's going to be really really tough to see where teams go in the ruck. Ruck two this year and Ruck three, I guess. Um, and at this point, I'm I'm com- keeping R two completely open. Basically, it, it could be any one of probably four or five guys that I'm considering. And to be honest, this is probably one that will change. You know, ten minutes before a ball's bounced on the on the first round of the year, because I think there's just so many so many things up in the air, so many question marks about if guys are fit or not. Um, and it also maybe depends a bit on what you're doing with the rest of your team. You know, can you, are you going to have cash available if you need it? Oh, you know, are you going to have another ruck, ruck forward option to cover on the bench, maybe in your forward line on utility? You know, if you've got the two rookie rucks, then maybe you can afford to go a bit riskier with the, with the R2. Uh, it's, it's an absolute cluster at the moment. So um, hopefully we get a bit of clarity in the next few weeks. Uh, I'm not, I'm not convinced we will. Yep. Now, I know I said that I wouldn't get you to reveal your team, um, but this is such a crucial position. So I'm going to put you on the spot here. You give me your current R2 right now. Give me your sort of justification as to why you're thinking it, and then I'll reveal mine, and then we'll have a bit of a chat. So who's your R2 currently as we speak right now? Yeah, so currently I've got Darcy Cameron in there. Um, he's he's probably been in there the most throughout the preseason. Um, a little bit of an injury scare a couple of weeks back, which is – Got me a bit nervous, but um, I still think that Mason Cox isn't a great ruckman. I watched a bit of that game on on the weekend, and he, I don't think Mason Cox was effective at all in the ruck. My only concern is that Darcy Cameron was quite effective up forward. He played that high centre half forward role. They went to him a lot, and I'm concerned that they they almost tank the ruck position so that they have that centre half forward who who provides them the target that they need. Because Mason Cox isn't really that guy, I think. So it's it, it feels it feels a bit bit wrong at the moment that teams would do that I think Ruck's such an important position but uh, we, you know we know Darcy Cameron's not your typical Ruckman anyway so at the moment he's sitting there I can see him having you know 10 15 maybe 20 points upside if Mason Cox isn't in the team um, and I think worst case scenario he'll he'll do what he did last year um, but yeah I'd much prefer Mason Cox to not be in the team if Mason Cox isn't named round one I think Darcy Cameron's going to be a great pick and I'm going to feel a lot better about it but with that Mason Cox question mark hanging around it's just it's it's always going to be a bit bit tricky to know what Darcy Cameron does 
Yeah, it's interesting, right? So great minds think alike. So this workshop's not going to work too well, but I also have Darcy Cameron. <laughs> so I'm, I'm along the same lines as you. And I think Mason Cox was potentially the main ruckman on the weekend just because they're managing Darcy's loads a bit. And I think he needs to build yeah. it up um, after that hamstring injury. And I kind of just look at that Collingwood side. They've got Dan McStay now. They've got Check. They've got Frampton, who's quite big. There's a lot of tools and with the way they like to play, I just, in my head, it kind of seems like they're one tall too many for that, you know, real run and gun style that they like to play. So it wouldn't yeah, surprise yeah. me if, if Cox isn't there round one and, you know, you just get a bit of a chop out from a McStay or a Frampton. I think, you know, when you've got Myacek, when you've got Frampton, uh, not Frampton, sorry, when you've got McStay in that forward line, able to, for one of them to play that high half forward role, I think you don't need, necessarily need a Darcy Cameron to play that role. I have been wrong in the past and um, they did just make, well, they were a kick off a grand final with playing Mason Cox and Darcy Cameron in the same side and they won 11 straight from pretty much when Cox came into the side. So uh, I, I'm along the same lines as you. I think at a minimum, he should be able to go what he did last year, which was about 90 um, with Cox in the side. I think you you would hope that he can bank that with a little bit more potential upside if, if Cox is out or... Um, you know, Cameron's fitness gets to a point where maybe he can do 60-70% rather than the, the 50-60% he was doing last year. But the thing that's getting it over the line for me at the moment is that forward status. So being able to swing him forward at the point that you want to get your R2 is so valuable. If you've got a Scott Lysette who's putting up 80s or you've got a Jared Witts who's just doing his 90 to 95 or a Rob or someone in that price range who are just doing what they're doing, I find it very hard for you to waste a trade to go from that up to a Tim English or whoever's the R1 when you've still got rookies on the field. So I think being able to get a rookie off the field by swinging Cameron forward while still getting that upgrade for the ruck, I think is going to be very valuable. Do you agree? Yeah, definitely. I think that's a great point. You know, it's in the ruck line, you know, say, you know, Tim English gets injured in round one on a five or something, you know, he'll come down in value. He'll peak at round, you know, four, five, six, um, as in peak as a value option and you want to bring him in. But if you've got um, two high price ruckmen in your side, um, you're not going to be able to do a sideways trade. Or if you do, you're sort of wasting a trade. So it is great to have that flexibility um, to bring in, you know, slide Cameron forward for a couple of weeks and then upgrade him around buy time or whatever it is. Um, yeah, I think, I think that's useful. And even there might even be a rookie ruck, you know, there might be a Ned Moyle or someone who, gets a few games as the um, sole ruck for their team, we can jump on, you know, maybe this, uh, you know, the Sydney ruckman, McAndrew, maybe he comes out and brains it and you want to field a rookie ruck for a few rounds. You just slide Cameron forward and you can bring the ruck, uh, the rookie ruck in for a couple of weeks and then you've got Cameron as cover if you need it. So there's definitely, there's definitely merit in, in having uh, Cameron there for the ruck forward status. I don't think there's too many other guys in the ruck line, maybe a Sava Radigalia or someone that you could, think about uh, for that reason um, it, it definitely just gives you the extra flexibility and that it's something that you don't you might not need but it might also get to you know round four or five and you might you know look at your team and realize that that's actually really helpful it gives you a few more opportunities of, of who to bring in and making sure you bring in underpriced premiums because that's essentially that's the name of the game you know we, we talk about um, the value being in the rookies but also a great way to make money is to bring in guys who are 50 100k underpriced uh, and then ride them up when they start to, you know, pump out the big scores. So, um, yeah, it's that's a pretty good call, mate.
Yeah, and uh, flexibility is not something I've traditionally gone with in my ruck line, being the big set-and-forget man I am. So it's definitely a, an element of the game that I'm trying to look into a little bit more. So, yeah, that's how I'm seeing it at the moment. But let me if, if it comes out this week that Cox is still the number one ruck and, and Darcy Cameron is forward, then I'll definitely have to readjust or have a look at it. So it's definitely by no means locked in. All right, let's quickly run through the forwards and then we'll do about 10 minutes of questions because we've already gone close to an hour and I'm well aware that it's quite late where you are. How are you seeing the forward lines at the moment? Yeah, I mean, I think the, the talking point of the forward line is these underpriced premiums that we have this year. So, um, you know, if you haven't considered... Dunkley, Taranto, Rosie, and uh, Caniglio, then um, you know, take a good look at them and, and just make sure you you understand why you would or wouldn't pick them. Um, they're the, the big four names I'm hearing, but there's also a few others, you know, Golden, Dylan Moore. Uh, there's a heap of value in that sort of unpriced premium bracket in the forward line, which is really cool. And I think that they're the kind of picks that you really love to see as a fantasy coach, guys who can increase their average by, you know, 10, 15 points maybe, and become keepers, um, you know, that's that's gold. So they're the guys we want to start with. Uh, at the moment, I'm, I'm, you know, I'll definitely have three of them in my side and, and hopefully four, but depends a bit on what, what else happens with the rest of the uh, mid-prices and rookies. Um, I think there's also a lot of other value in, in the forward line. You know, there's a few mid-prices that have popped up uh, with pretty good roles that, you know, they, they should be should be looking good and there's a few rookies as well who've proven that they can score um which i think is important and uh, you know a few guys with pretty good job security as well so i think the forward line is uh i wouldn't say easy to pick but i think we've got a lot of options there um so you can be a bit flexible there um definitely i'm looking at putting a forward in my midfield just so i can have an extra one in there um it does just give you that flexibility that you know you can um you can restructure pretty easily if you need to in the first couple of rounds. If there's a, a rookie that pops up, um, if there's a pre- underpriced premium that you want to jump on or a mid-price you want to jump on, it just gives you another option of not having to trade a, a forward or a midfielder. You might be able to um, swing some DPP and trade who you want to trade for the person you need to bring in. So, um, yeah, I think forward line is probably a, a good problem to have for us at the moment. I don't know about you, but I find it's probably the easiest line to pick for me right now. Yeah, mate, I agree with that 100%. I think the biggest question out of the forward line is whether you start three or four of these gun premiums. Uh, They all seem to have, well, at this stage in the preseason, upside from what they did in the back half of last year, Um, whether it's being underpriced because they didn't have the role to start the year and then um, went bang towards the end, or if it's just a Dunkley who's moved clubs for more opportunity. I think there's justification to start all of them. So I suppose that's the biggest question coaches need to work through is, do they start three? Do they start four? You know, are they willing to um, to not start one to have a bit of cash elsewhere in you know defence or midfield, whatever it is? So I think we don't need to spend too much time on the forwards. It's interesting to hear that you are considering to start one of them in the midfield. I think that's a a good play as well. You know, people have said that they don't like starting the forward forward players in the midfield because you know you're you're giving up points to the midfield. But you know, I've used the example of a Connor Rosie. If if you feel he's the the best player in that 80s range who's going to be a keeper and, and go close to 100, then why not start him in the midfield over, you know, maybe a Tom Green or a, uh, you know, a Chera or a Sarong who might not get as close to the top eight mids and then swing him forward and get the midfielder that you want. So, yep, absolutely perfect. Let's move on. We'll do some quick questions and then we'll, we'll wrap up. So there's a lot of questions here, guys. I, I feel like we've answered a lot of them throughout our conversations, but we will do a few specific ones here. 
Just quickly, um, M4 is an interesting position. So who do you like more out of Green, Berry, or is even thrown in Goulden, which would be one of those um, forwards that he's trying to stash in the midfield? Yeah, I think uh, at the moment I like Green, but um, Berry looks really, really good in the practice game, like really good. I, I haven't seen much of him last year, um, but he looked great. Uh, on the weekend so he's definitely one to keep an eye on Goulden has the flexibility of being a forward so if, if Goulden's getting midfield time um, you know he's he's shown that he's a fantasy scorer um, and he he could be a keeper in the forward line that that does excite me if he gets uh, midfield time but I think out of those three at the moment I prefer Green. Yep couldn't agree more the interesting thing about Goulden is I think once again coaches just need to put a little bit of a, a critical think thinking hat on what happened on the weekend. So we saw last year um, Isaac Heaney get a lot of midfield time in the preseason and then round one rolls around and it's back to the norm. He's getting that sort of 10%, 15% midfield role. And I think Goulden will get more than that, but I just feel, you know, Mills isn't going to get 30% in the real thing. Warner's gonna, not going to get 40%. You know, Parker's going to be back in there. Rowbottom's in there. And if their plan for their, you know, their game plan in the season is for Goulden to be that fifth midfielder who gets that 40% CBAs, why not give him that 70% run in the preseason to, to wrap his head around what he needs to do and and to get the fitness up to play that role? Because there's no point him, there's no point Mills getting in there 70%. They know what they're going to get from him. They know what they're going to get from Parker. Um, this is the time that they kind of experiment. So I'd be very shocked if Goulden has, you know, more than sort of 50% CBAs with the, the quality that they have in there. So... It is definitely a watch this week to see how that lines up, but don't be surprised if round one rolls around and he's back to his traditional high half forward wing role, which he is actually very damaging in. Um, what is So what are the telltale signs that you see for a successful role change versus a, a one-week wonder? Uh, yeah, that's a good question. So, um, yeah, I think, I think obviously you've, the best thing to do is actually see it's we get sucked in sometimes you know guys play off halfback for a week and they have a really good fantasy week with a good fantasy score but also you have to look at um how do they actually play you know did they i, I love to sometimes look at super coach scores just so you get a bit of a, an eye of you know where they effective where their their disposals um how do they rank in terms of being on field but the best thing to do is to watch them play you know did they do the right thing or were they just sliding around getting some cheap ball which doesn't really help the team. So um, it's it's really hard. That I mean, that's that's basically uh, you know if you can do that successfully, you'll you'll probably win a car. So um, look at look at who's in the team and who else could be doing the role. Most of these guys are you know the halfback role is a great example. They're probably competing with one or two guys for that role. Look at the reasons why the other guys aren't in there. So uh, you know a good example this year I think is uh, Isaac Cumming. I've really called on him because Lockie Whitfield's apparently coming in. Lockie Ash is playing that halfback role. Those three guys, all great users of the ball. I can't see one of them really dominating. I think all three will share it around a bit. Maybe more Whitfield and coming, less Ash. But it scares me that three three guys could play that role. Whereas if you look at another team, uh, you know, like Sydney, if if Blakely's injured, Jake Lloyd is probably that halfback distributor he could have a really great start to the year with Blakely out. So look at the guys who are doing the role um, normally and who their competition is and then see if you, you know, if they're actually playing the role well, well, guess what? The role's probably theirs. Yeah, and that's actually a fantastic point you make surrounding Isaac coming. And I think that's a lesson 
and uh, something we can think about with a Hayden Young as well. So Hayden Young, albeit a very quality player and someone they love the ball in his hands, but when you've got Jordan Clark, when you've got Luke Ryan, when you've also got Heath Chapman, all quality kids and quality ball users as well, um, it kind of can put a cap on their ceiling and, and maybe have them not being top eight mids. Uh, I know, you, uh, sorry, top eight defenders. You look at the the top eight defenders in the past, you mentioned a Jake Lloyd when he was just the only distributor back there. Jordan Dawson last year, who just everything went through him. Sicily, everything went through him. Um, Doherty, although he had Saad, um, you know, alongside him, he wasn't a massive fantasy scorer, so he was able to get a lot of ball as well. So that's that's a very good point in, is not just looking at what the player scored or what you think they can score but being able to have a look at who else is in the team and who might potentially be able to take points away from them as well so that is fantastic for you to mention um are you someone that can start with say a 280k player on your bench uh yep i've definitely looked at that at the moment i've got maybe one or two on my bench i think yeah maybe i might even have two on the bench at the moment so i think Definitely you can, you know, it's a long season, you know, this year we've got the extra round as well and making sure you get cash gen on the bench is going to be super important because, you know, the first five or six weeks, sure, you might, you might be uh, regretting having that cash on the bench, but as soon as you downgrade that guy, um, if they were a good pick, you know, if they say they started at 280k, if they average 20 or 30 points more, they're going to go up, what's that, 200k and then you're going to, all of a sudden you're going to have 300k when you go down to a basement rookie, you you know, from rounds five or six onwards, you are going to be loving life. You're going to have heaps of cash to play with when you downgrade them. You're going to be able to do a big midfield upgrade and then you're going to catch up points for 15, 16, 17 weeks. So um, definitely, you know, pick your pick your starting rooks first and then just look at the guys who are going to make more cash. Um, you know, if it's similar, I definitely err on the side of getting the cheaper player um, if, you know, if they've got the same scoring potential and job security. But, um, you know, just look at, how many more points they're going to score. Um, I think there'll be a few this year that might be worthwhile having on your bench. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Although the aim, aim of the game is to score points, um, the number one important thing in your starting squad is being able to nail the right rookies. So if the right rookies means that you need to fit one or two of these guys that are a little bit more inflated on the bench just to make sure you get the, the right cash gen. That is absolutely something that you need to do because there's no point just putting a 200k basement on, on your bench so you've got more points to play with on field if they're just going to be dropped round one or uh, round two, sorry, or they're not going to score. So absolutely, it's something that I um, am not afraid to do. I know that Selby, when he went really well in 2020, started Hayden Young on the bench who was 270k at the time, which was, you know, um, a little bit more than what 270k is worth now as well. So um, definitely something that successful coaches have done. Will you look at picking Tristan Cherry if Goldie isn't named or would you even look to pick him if he's the number one ruck but Goldie still might be playing that chop-out role? Yeah, he's a he's a really interesting one. Uh, the problem with if Goldie isn't named, that means he isn't named round one. I, I, can see, I can see them playing around with their rucks a little bit. The real question for me is who is their... R2 then, who's who's North Melbourne's R2 when Cherry's in the ruck? Who is in there and how do they play? So if Combin turns out to be a really great chop-out ruckman, then I think that's going to force Goldstein out of the side and I think Cherry becomes a pretty good pick. You know, there, there could definitely be some upside there. But if Combin's struggling, then it'll make sense to drop him, have Goldstein run the two-pronged attack, which is just going to really, really... Um, not be great for Cherry. So he's definitely one that I'm looking at. 
you just gotta you gotta look bigger than round one you know we don't want to be trading these ruckman after after one or two rounds just because gold like a proven guy like goldstein comes back into the team um you've got to be pretty confident that the guy who's taken goldstein's place is going to keep playing um and i think at the moment it's i'm, I'm not really clear on how that looks we'll see from the practice match how you know common plays or whoever else is chopping out a cherry in the ruck yeah mate fantastic i'm with you there um, is it okay in your mind? We know we, we speak about value, 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 but do you think it's okay to start an Uber premium in your midfield? So I think uh, an Oliver, a Merritt, I'll throw in a Brayshaw, a Steele, um, who don't have a lot of upside, maybe not any, but are a solid captain option. I think it's, I think it's a play. Um, you know, I, I did this last year and I, I sort of regret it. I started Steele last year. He was okay, but a lot of guys were performing better than him. And they were a lot cheaper. So um, it sort of caught me out a bit last year. I've actually played around with having Rory Laird on my team this year. I like the idea that, you know, I could lock up a 120, 115 average as captain, particularly for those early rounds, and just bank the points. Um, And I think there may even be some upside in him. So, yeah, I think you've got to look at captain options and think, how am I going to get through four or five rounds of captains? Um, And having one or two guys um, like that, isn't isn't yeah it's i don't think i think there's a lot of value in the midfielders we talked about all those guys priced around 100 some of them are going to are going to bump up their average to 110 so i don't necessarily think you need to start with those guys um but anyone who's going 110 plus you know 115 120 if you think laird can if you think a bracial can or an oliver can or whoever these guys if you think they can go that extra five ten points then that becomes a decent amount of value i think Yep, summed it up perfectly. Okay, a few more. Um, do you think Callahan and Cully are good options for breakouts this year? I think Callahan's a really interesting one. There's definitely um, a lot of talk uh, that he'll he'll be in the midfield rotations at GWS, and I think he's a bit of a proven scorer. I don't think he's going to have quite a good enough year to make it worthwhile, but um, he's definitely one to consider if he if he brains it this week. You could definitely look at him. Cully, I think's a bit of a tougher pick. I think there's a few mouths to feed in that West Coast midfield. You know, we've talked about um, Dom Sheed. We've talked about Elliot Yo. They've got a few other guys that'll roll through there. I'm not sure he's in that top three midfield rotation. I think he might be the bench mid. He might play a bit on the four, in the half forward flank. He might even play on the wing. So I'm a, I love him as a player and I think he'll be good at some point. I think maybe that's six months, 12 months too early on Cully. Yeah, agree with your your points on Callahan. I don't think he's going to have the role that's going to be enough to get him that sort of 80, 85 price uh, scoring potential that we need from a mid-pricer in the midfield. And Cully, I just I could not be colder on Cully. I, I don't understand the hype. Um, he's going to be M5 if he's in the midfield at all. You know, now that Yo's back, Sheed's back, Kelly's back firing, even Gaff was through the midfield. Um, I just that M5 role in a in a struggling side. We forget that the Eagles won two games last year, and although we're we're tipping them to you know bounce back a little bit with those seasoned veterans coming back to form, they're still going to potentially be a bottom four side. And to think someone's going to go 80, 85 in his you know he's played four games. Um, he's going to be playing for a really bad footy side this year, and I really don't understand the hype on Cully. So he's someone I'm not even even considering or even looking at. So one to you know something to think about there. Um, let's continue on. Um, what do you think? We'll finish on this one. What do you think your thoughts are on how best to limit being burnt by the new sub rule? 
Uh, yeah, it's, I mean, it's so hard to predict. I think the sub rule is uh, the easiest way to avoid it is to pick guys who are so important to their teams that they won't be subbed out. So, um, you know, if, you've, if you're picking a fringe player who's maybe, you know, maybe the seventh defender picked for their side or the maybe he's the fifth midfielder who comes off the bench or whatever it is, a small forward who maybe is expendable, or even a key forward who, you know, they maybe they want to run smaller. Just be really careful about picking those fringe players because they're probably the guys who will get subbed off now that they can. Um, and the other one is the, you know, are the, the teams who have two Ruckman, I'd be very concerned that a lot of the time it's going to be one of the two Ruckman who gets subbed out. So that's one of my flags around Darcy Cameron. If he plays with Mason Cox and, you know, three-quarter time, they don't have any injuries, uh, they, they might just pick one of them and sub one of them out. I think most of the time it'll be Mason Cox, but if Cameron, you know, got a knock on his leg or his shoulder or whatever it is, uh, he could easily be the guy subbed out. So that's the big one. You know, teams with two Ruckman, I would be a bit concerned. The other one, you know, say Sean Darcy even, if he's if he gets a little bit of a knock and Luke Jackson's fresh, ready to go, we know how good Luke Jackson is in the Ruck. Um, you know, I could see one or two games where maybe they give Sean Darcy a, a quarter off and they bring Luke Jackson into the into the midfield for the last last quarter, let him Ruck solo for one quarter. Um that scares that probably scares a lot of people who are considering Darcy, but I think from a footy point of view that would make sense. You know, if you're five, four, five goals behind as Frio, and uh, you've got the two big men on the ground who aren't being that effective, why not bring Jackson to the midfield? Yeah, mate, that's actually a, a fantastic point surrounding Darcy. Not something I'd actually um, thought about. I I don't think they'd ever sub him off tactically in terms of him not playing well. But you're right, if he does get a knock, which we know he does, he has these sort of in-game injuries that he is notorious for. That could definitely be something that happens. So, yeah, it's you never really, you know, if you're picking a player, injuries are part of it. So, mm. it's something you do have to think about. But, yeah, you are right. That two-ruck system with the sub is... Uh, Definitely something to monitor. Let's just finish off with this one because this is quite an intriguing question and I'd like to hear your thoughts before mine. So how do you know when to get in or trade a, a popular pick one week early? Um, as expert coaches have stated in the past that it's pivotal be that to, to get on them early to be that sort of extra trade ahead of the comp. Is it more gut feel? Is it stats-based, other factors? How do you sort of go about that? Yeah, this is a great question. Um, you know, I think... A lot of the time you can be one week early and um, and it pays off and the other time you could be one week early and, and maybe there's a reason no one else jumped on and you look a bit stupid. But I think, um, yeah, it's a great question. I think you've got to look at, the best way to do it is just watch the game they played. You know, Normally this is when guys come in, they've played one or two games, there's a clear role change uh, or maybe they were underpriced coming in and you know thinking like a, an Aaron Hall a few years ago or like Darcy Cameron last year, you've got to look at that role and you've got to look at, is that role going to change? You know, Darcy Cameron last year was clear number one ruck when Brody Grundy went down. Mason Cox wasn't around. That, that's, that's one that you can jump on early. Um, if it's someone else who's in, say, a halfback role or something, that can change week to week. So um, I think, you know, it, it's really easy to look at ruckman. That's a, a pretty clear one. There's only a few guys on each list that can actually play ruck. Um, when you're looking at, say, a you know, high half forward or a midfield, there's lots of names that get floated around there. So, yeah, just just be confident in the role. If you think they're going to maintain that role for you know four or five weeks plus, then it's 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 probably worthwhile jumping in a week early, uh, because sometimes if you if you leave it a week or two too late, 
um, you've probably missed the boat. You know, so Luke Jackson last year when he was solo ruck for a few weeks, if you didn't jump in straight away, you probably couldn't jump in. Yeah, and I suppose as well, it's it is a little bit of gut feel and, and stats based, but. I'll use an example last year. So, um, Matty Mottram's famous trade of getting in Callum Mills when no one was really looking at him. Um, so, Callum Mills the year before was a, a top top two or even a top one defender because he was playing full-time midfield. And we know that uh, towards the end of the year, he started to get that Achilles injury, which forced him out. And that uh, means that he missed the end of the season and his preseason was um, limited. So, then he starts the year slowly, but you know, looking at the stats, we know that he's a top eight midfielder in the role. We just know that he needed to get his fitness back. Um, Matty Mottram sees that he has a bit of a slow start, but he's coming up against Hawthorne, who are an easy side to easy side to score against. He jumps before everyone else is willing to. He gets that absolute boost, and away you go. So, the thing I like to really think about is that the early rounds are quite interesting. Um, we see a lot of outlier scores. We see a lot of premiums maybe perform under what they will you know, particularly do for the rest of the year, but we know that they're premiums for a reason and eventually, more than likely, that the scoring will, will get back to the norm and, and they'll be the premiums that we know they are. So don't be afraid to, to pick a player that might not be performing as well as you think they are, but knowing that they can get back to what they've done before. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely, definitely. I think that's yeah. That, I mean, that's and that's early on of this in the season. You know, that that first couple of upgrades, you've really got to be looking ahead. What are the schedules for these guys that you're bringing in, and are you going to get the the big scores? Have you got the juicy matchup? You know, if you don't have a juicy matchup, you can maybe wait a week, have a look. Worst case scenario, you know, they might go up ten, twenty k, whatever it is. You can live with that. But you know, that, a great example there. You know, a, a guy who's back in the midfield, who's back fit, and then has a juicy matchup on top of that. You know, you can jump on that. You can bank in a pretty, a pretty great score, maybe as a captain option as well, and just bank the points because eventually, um, the dollars don't really matter. It's it's the points that matter. So if you if you can see a big score coming, jump on. And once you've seen a big score happen, you know you've missed that score. Don't don't go chasing those big scores. Um, just because Callum Mills had 151 week doesn't mean he's going to back it up the next week. You know you got to look at matchups. You got to look at is the role going to stay there. Maybe he's a bit sore from getting so many kicks. So, um, yeah, they're, they're great ones. They're great ones, particularly with your captain options. That I'll definitely look at that throughout the year. And if there's a guy that you've been looking at bringing in, they get a good matchup there, you know, up the top of Calvin's captains or whatever you use for your captains, have a look and, and see if you can get them in that week early so you can get that big score. Yeah, perfect, mate. Thank you so much for this chat. Um, it's been absolutely awesome. I know I've learned a lot just talking to talking to you here, so I can't wait to actually go back and listen to it to really, really get a lot out of it. Can you just tell the listeners where they can find you on Twitter? Because I know you give out a lot of good information on Twitter and, and you're a good follow. So where can they find you? Yeah, so uh, definitely chuck me a follow on Twitter. I'll, I'll, I'll start posting again once the season starts, my weekly trades and how my team's looking and um, happy to answer any questions people fire through to me. Um, I think it's lemon underscore DT. You can find me at Twitter or maybe it's DT underscore lemon. It's one of those options. Um, I always get confused. So yeah, uh, happy to chat anytime. I, I try and get to as many questions as I can throughout the week. So send them through. Yep. Awesome, mate. Part of the reason that the fantasy community is, is so strong, uh, people like you that are happy to give out their knowledge and, and, and their experience so that other coaches can learn from what you've done to be successful so that we can kind of raise everyone up. So thank you so much and good luck for the season ahead. Thanks, mate. You too. Can't wait for it.